Thank you, Father, so much for your love and care of us. And we worship you today as the God who that we serve. We know you take care of us, and one of your primary ways of doing that, especially in earlier years of our lives, was through our moms. What an amazing plan you put together in motherhood. And we worship you and honor you for that today. As we look into your word and we open it, we pray that you will challenge us. These are certainly challenging days for mom, uh, moms, and I pray that you would bring encouragement and hope in what looks like a hopeless world around us. Thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's probably an understatement to say that uh, mothers have a tough job in today's world. Uh, it's probably even tougher for Christian moms because Christian moms are trying to raise their children as Christians in a very much more pagan kind of a culture. I think I'm seeing more and more of a track towards mothers, Christian mothers who are disappointed, discouraged. Some of them are disappointed in the job that they're able to do, feeling like they just can't do enough as moms. Some of them feel that uh, their children are not quite turning out as they expected them to turn out in terms particularly of their Christian faith, maybe not adopting the Christian faith as deeply and not rooted in the Christian faith as deeply as they would like. And if this isn't all enough of a challenge, we face the challenge of probably living in the last days of history before the return of Jesus Christ. And we know what the Bible says about days before the return of Christ, where people, moms, dad, and children, all will, uh, there will be a greater, a greater uh, tendency to depart from the faith. This adds to the challenges that moms experience. One of the things that I've found hope in over the years, and at least perspective, even if not hope all the time, are the four possibilities of what happens when we raise children. And perhaps you'll find some hope and perspective in these words as well. The first is that good children come out of good, ho uh, good homes. This really is what we all hope and pray for, because I think the people I'm addressing here basically are good homes for the most part. We're trying to raise our children in ways that honor the Lord, and this is what we hope for. But we also need to recognize, secondly, that good children come out of bad home environments as well. Yes, there are those chances where children turn out very well, even though they didn't have a good upbringing. This is the kind of thing we pray for for children who do, not, who do not have such positive upbringings. The third possible explanation is that bad children come out of bad home environments. This we would say we would expect. We would expect there to be a production of badness out of a bad environment. The fourth one is the tough one, and that is that bad children come out of good home environments. This is the one that most of us fear as parents. And this is the one we hope will not be our children. It would be someone else's. I think this is the thing that uh, triggers this idea that we understand more clearly perhaps than ever that children do have free wills and they must choose the Christian faith for themselves. They will make their choices. It is perhaps this fourth category, bad children coming out of good environments, that has stimulated my thinking in the message, the sermon that I'm presenting this morning. It is the thing that many fear, and I think it is a fear for many moms. When hope wavers, when faith grows shaky, it is always best to return to the Bible. 
You are never called to muster up faith on your own. Oh, I got to keep believing. Oh, I got I to muster this. I, I, this is going so badly right now, but I just got to trust. The Bible nurtures faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. You need the Word of God to rebuild faith and to keep you strong because there will be discouraging moments in life, even in the best of homes. So, in light of that, I've decided that today we need to look into a study of a faith-filled mom who did her very best, and it wasn't enough at all, but she did her best, and yet she experienced many hopeless moments in the raising of her three children. Somehow, by the grace of God, she hung on to faith. She's known as a woman of faith. She, uh, she experienced some good things with her kids, and she really experienced some bad things. She probably died experiencing more bad than good. But after her lifetime, the results got much better. I'm referring to Jochebed, the mother of Moses. I'm reading today from Exodus chapter 2, the opening 10 verses. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she said, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took the child to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. One other verse that I'll extract from the New Testament for our scripture reading today is Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great Hebrew, the great faith chapter of the New Testament. Hebrews 11 is filled with heroes of faith, people who lived and walked by faith, and Jochebed is mentioned here as well. In verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Jochebed is the mother of Moses. She is not named in either of the passages that I've read. She is named later in Exodus chapter 6. She's not named in our passages today. I simply say that because you say, how do you know she's Jochebed? Because the Bible named her, Exodus 6. She is the mother of Moses, one of the greatest leaders of all human history. 
It would be Moses who would stand in front, in front of the mighty Pharaoh and demand that the Pharaoh let the Israelite slaves go. It would be Moses who would lead the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years without any, even a day's provision of food and water. An amazing feat of leadership. It would be Moses who would ascend Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments from God. Mount Sinai, I hope to be there in a few days. Because of his amazing successes, we sometimes forget about the first 80 years of his life that were filled with difficulties, and Jochebed lived those 80 years with him. And frankly, the last many years of his life, she probably never saw her son again. And they were not good years. This is the woman we are studying today. Year after year after year she endured this. It was not getting better. The hopes that she had in her God for producing a son that would be something unique and special in God's plan was never fulfilled in her lifetime. It had to have hurt. Among the many disappointments she experienced, here are three. Three that the Bible is clear about. I'm sure there were many more. The first disappointment she experienced was that her son was in danger. What mother would want to see her baby threatened, his very life threatened? We read from Exodus 2, and some of you that don't know the story will wonder, why does she have to put her baby in a basket and put him in the Nile River? It's because of Exodus 1. The pharaoh of Egypt was under the understanding that the population was quickly growing among the Israel, Israel, Israelite people. And, and he knew that the Egyptians were not growing at that pace, and it would only be a matter of years before there were more Israelites than there were Egyptians. And then the Israelites would rule the Egyptians. He saw it coming, so he acted. He decreed that every male Israelite child that was born was to be thrown into the Nile River to be executed, to cut down the population growth. That would do it. That edict goes down about the time Jochebed is carrying Moses as her third-born child. Jochebed had two older children. They were not slouches, the two older ones. The, older, the oldest was daughter Miriam. We know about her. She's the first prophetess in the Bible. She was a great praise and worship leader, too. And then there was Aaron. He was no slouch. He became the high priest of Israel. The third child, the baby of the family, was Moses. When Jochebed was pregnant with him, the edict went down from the Pharaoh, execute the Israelites' sons. Knowing that the life of her son was threatened, this had to have been a difficult moment for her. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, which I just read, when she could no longer hide him after he was born, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitched, and she launched this little boat into the Nile River to float away. When she could no longer hide him. You can't hide a baby forever. They cry. They make noise. For a while, if you have an infant, oh! Look, a precious little girl, right? Because all the boys were executed. Well, you could pull that off for a while. But a few months in, she realized she could no longer hide him. So she creates this little boat. I think it must have broken her heart to set her son at sail in the Nile River. What a disappointment for a mom. 
Not knowing what happened, she posts her oldest daughter, Miriam, to watch the basket. Most Bible teachers believe that Miriam was probably about seven years old at this time, perhaps five, perhaps ten, somewhere right around there. She's watching, and the Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to bathe, and this is where the second disappointment Jochebed faces comes in. She is not allowed to raise her own son. Well, at first, at least her son is going to be preserved. It's very clear that uh, the Pharaoh's daughter takes a liking to the little baby, and she wants to keep him. Exodus chapter 2, verse 10 says, When the child grew older, she, the Pharaoh's daughter, took him, and he became her son. So Jochebed does not get the chance to raise her own child. Another major disappointment. When Jochebed put him in that basket and launched him into the river, Miriam stands at a distance, and when the princess of the land, the Pharaoh's daughter, comes to bathe, in the providence of God, we see the princess's heart warmed toward baby Moses. Now, the princess undoubtedly knew this was one of the Israelite children that by her own father's decree is supposed to be thrown into the Nile River. But she is the Pharaoh's daughter. In a remarkable turn of events in the providence of God, she goes against her father's orders and decides to keep the baby. Who's going to cross her? She's the princess. And daddy's going to make sure she has what she wants. If she wants to keep one baby, it's not a big deal. This is not going to create an explosion in the population of the Israelites. One of the lessons that comes out of studying the life of Jochebed is that God makes a way when there seems to be no way. Perhaps that would be the theme song for some of you moms today in the midst of the hopelessness that you face or some of the struggles with your children that you face. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Yes. In another amazing turn of events, the daughter of the Pharaoh turns to the little girl standing there and says, you, go get me somebody to nurse this child. Who does Miriam get? He gets the mother of Moses. And the princess says, you nurse my baby, and I'll pay you to do that. That must have given Jochebed a little hope to hold on. Not one of us, moms included, knows the turns that God will have in his providential care, in his intervention on behalf of his mothers and his children, the children of his mothers. You don't know what God will do. He has ways open to him that are far beyond you. So moms, whatever you're facing today, as disappointing as the events might be, please, let this part of the word of God nurture your faith to just trust God who is in control of all. Those things that Jochebed holds on to will have to hold her because the day comes when Moses is weaned and she has to take him to the Pharaoh's court and turn him over to the princess, the pagan princess who will raise her son. That had to have been a hard moment. 
And of course, we would look at that and say, pagan woman raises child. The child will be a pagan too. But in the providence of God, He worked in mighty ways. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 says that Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be known as the child of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to simply enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short while. He stayed with his faith in God. He did not become a pagan. He stayed with his roots. How did that happen? God there's no other explanation. I'm sure it must have hurt Jochebed to turn her son over. It's the only way his life could be saved. She did her best and it wasn't enough. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Well, at least now he's growing up. Perhaps from time to time she got to see him at a distance or maybe even visit with him a little bit in the courtyards. This was her son, and he was alive. And as Hebrews 11 said, he would grow up to still be a man of God and associate with his people and follow his God rather than the pagan gods of Egypt. And right there, everyone thinks this would be a great place for the story to end, and they lived happily ever after. Is that what happens? No, the greatest disappointment is yet on the horizon. Because the text is clear, I read the first 10 verses of Exodus 2. How about verses 11 and 12? One day, after Moses was fully grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that way and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, and word got out of his murderous act. Moses runs for his life. He flees the country and goes to a country many, 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 many miles away. And he lives there for 40 years. I think it is safe to say, it's only logical to say that while he was in exile, Jochebed died. She never saw the fulfillment, the outcome of her son's life. By the time he returns to Egypt to stand in front of Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let the Israelites go, Moses himself is 80. How old would Jochebed have been? Mom, the point that has to be made here is God's plans for your child will not be fulfilled during your lifetime. Which means as your heart bleeds and there's a sense for hopelessness, you need to go back to these kinds of moments in the Scripture that assure you God's work continues after you're in heaven. While in the worst way you might want your child to live for God today, God's work is lifelong in the life of your child. Moses' real ministry began when he was 80 years old. Three disappointments for Jochebed. And perhaps the ultimate, her son flees the country as a murderer and she probably never saw him again. In a foreign country so many miles away, she didn't know if he was dead or alive. 
and that's what she died with. Let's move beyond the disappointments. That's kind of heavy stuff. What I want to move to is her base of godly faith. What helped her to hold on? Certainly she saw moments where God was in control and did some neat things. But then she's got to live those years and she sees a murderous son flee for his life and all this stuff. What do you do? How do you hang on to God's plan? Here are two things she hung on to. Number one, she hung on to the fact that her child was special. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. What does that mean, no ordinary child? Has there ever been a parent who thought their child was not extraordinary? We all think our children are extraordinary. Emily and I, we had four extraordinary ones. Absolutely. Three sons and a daughter. And because only one daughter, I guess you could say she was even more extraordinary. So, pardon me, but you'll appreciate the fact that I agree with the guy who said, parents are people who marry their daughter off to some guy who is totally unworthy, only to have the finest grandchildren on the face of the earth. <laughs> we have three of the finest grandchildren on the face of the earth. I must apologize to my son-in-law, Dave. He has not turned out to be totally worthless. He's way ahead of that. Actually, he's a good guy. And he loves the Lord. I am curious when this statement says parents saw that he was no ordinary child. What parent sees their child as ordinary? There's, there's got to be something more in this statement. I presume that mothers have unique insight into the lives of their children given to them by God Almighty. I am curious to meet my mother in heaven. She died when I was in college, and uh, she seemed to have a far greater understanding of my divine call to pastoral ministry than I did. See, when I was growing up, I knew I was going into full-time ministry. I just thought it was going to be in music, and Mom said, nope, it'll be pastoral. Nope, it'll be pastoral. She always hung to that. Drove me nuts. No, Mom, it's music. No, it'll be pastoral. You'll see. There was another moment like that. Mom, Dad, and I all agreed that I should get my education first, and uh, once educated, then I'd find a life partner. Partway through my education, my mom met Emily, and 10 minutes after meeting Emily, she said, you get a ring on that girl's finger. <laughs> now, that time, I did not fight my mom, okay? She was right, and I knew that one, too. Moms have a unique ability to see insights about their children that others do not see. Maybe not all moms, but a number of moms. Jacobet saw that her child was no ordinary child. Please understand what that means. She had two older children, and they were not slouches. One's going to be the first prophetess of Israel, Miriam. The other's going to be the high priest of Israel. These kids are not slouches. But Moses, he's different. He's no ordinary child with great gifts and abilities. There's a special calling on this child's life. 
Now, I doubt Jochebed understood exactly who he would be in terms of the deliverer of the Israelites and 40 years through the wilderness and receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, where I hope to be in a few days. Oh, enough of that. Okay. <laughs> By faith, she trusted God. God, I can see, I feel in my bones there's something unique that you're going to do with this child. And she hung on to that. Even when her child was a murderer, even when she's getting to the end of her life and nothing has changed. Moms, please hold on to the fact that God has a sovereign plan for your child. Even if the details don't seem to be working out these days. And please remember this. You are partnering with God in raising of a child to participate in God Almighty's sovereign plan. Trust God for the work in your child's life, even if it doesn't occur during your lifetime, moms. To me, that is the life of Jochebed, a mom who never saw it, but when she was gone, her faith proved to be correct in God. And Moses truly became a great man of God, a great leader after Jochebed was dead and gone. There's one other thing that I think that she held on to. God blessed her with three children, two other children, Miriam, Aaron. Miriam, the first priestess, the great worship leader, and also Aaron, the high priest of Israel. Pretty amazing, three children. But of the three, one was a superstar. Moses. To you moms that have more than one child, I know you love each of them equally. That's your job. Maybe some of your children are extraordinarily gifted. Maybe you have a superstar. In your spirit, you sense God moving you, and you use the resources you have in life and all your abilities to gauge each child, even the superstar, in the direction that God would have them to go. You do your best. You put, your, you put all of your effort into it and your love, and then it keeps blowing up in your face. Moms, it is very important that your children see your faith in God in those moments. Because as your child grows older and they run into the difficulties of life, they need to remember that mom and her difficulties still had faith in God. They need your example. Emily and I were taught early on in our marriage when our first child was coming, we were taught that from day one with your child, you start releasing them. You put them into God's hands right away, and you do not attempt to control them. You do everything you can to aim the child as best you can towards what God has for them. Your best understanding of what God has for your child, you aim them toward it to do the best that you can. You do your best, and all the while you know your best is never going to be good enough because you're human, and you will have rough days. But the success of your child is not based on the fact that you are perfect. It can't be because you're human. So you recognize your humanity. And you understand that the success of that child's life is not based upon your 
strengths and weaknesses. You do your best and you leave it in God's hands. And you understand that God's greatest work may come after you're already with the Lord Jesus in heaven. Some of you need that word today. And you'll have to trust God to do his work. Because with your pros and your cons, you've done the best you can. And there's nothing for you to do except hold on to God's plan by faith. This is the story of Jochebed. So for moms and dads and all children here, we all need to understand that God loves us and he has a great plan for our lives. Each of us have to make the decision, are we going to follow his plan for our lives or are we going to follow our own plan for our lives? Every child has choice. We must decide if the Christian faith is for us and we will adopt it or not. But please understand if you are here today that this choice begins with a moment of the salvation of your soul. Begins with whether you will come to God and recognize that you're a sinner and you're separated from God and that God loved you so much he sent his son to be punished for your sin so that your sin could be atoned for, it could be covered over, it could be forgiven. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. You can be forgiven. Jesus died for your sin. So if you would bow your heads with me in this moment of time, I would encourage anyone who has not made that decision to make that decision today, to start your journey with this great God of ours who has a plan for our lives. We fit into his overall sovereign plan for this planet Earth for his ultimate honor and glory. Would you begin by simply saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I believe that but I believe Jesus died for my sin to be punished for them. Please forgive me. Just ask him. He will do that. And you will begin that great spiritual journey as a child of God with a perfect heavenly Father. Father, thank you for these moments in your word. Thank you for the testimony of Jochebed. Please encourage our hearts. Nurture our faith through this great story of your word because Faith comes by hearing, hearing your word. So build us today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.